Good morning, everyone. You can open your Bibles to Romans chapter 1. a few verses from Romans 1 here. This message, um, well, it it came late. Um, No, I guess it was just on time. Um, I didn't think I was going to be preaching from this. I thought I was going to be preaching from another passage um, until fairly late yesterday when when I felt directed to to change. Um, let's read Romans 1, starting at verse 16. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. For in it is the righteousness, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, As it is written, the just shall live by faith. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Because what may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools, and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man and birds and four-footed animals and creeping things. Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation to everyone who believes. Can you say that? Are you able to hold your head high and admit you base your entire life around doing the will of God and put your energy into knowing him better? Are you willing to bow your head in prayer in public when it's appropriate, such as uh, when you sit at a table in a restaurant? In the summer, we sometimes walk through the Loudoun Street Mall in Old Town Winchester. Uh, For those of you who haven't been there, it's an open-air mall on a couple blocks of brick-paved streets downtown. Um, Once we were walking down through, this was couple years ago now, a few years ago, uh, walking down through, and I saw a man was sitting on the edge of one of the concrete planter boxes there, um, and he was holding a hand-lettered cardboard sign. And I know I didn't have any cash with me, so I avoided looking too closely at him uh, and reading his sign because I didn't want that awkward moment when you make eye contact with someone who wants help and um, you aren't going to give it. Down near the end, the uh, 
north end of the mall, there is an ATM from my bank right there in the brick wall. You can't see the bank anywhere around. There's just an ATM poking out of a brick wall. Um, and it's my bank, no service fees. So um, we stopped and got some cash. And on our way back through the mall, I gave it to one of my children and told them to give it to the man with the cardboard sign up ahead that's sitting on that uh, concrete slab. And when Burns held out the money, the man just shook his head at him. There was no smile, a lot of sadness in his eyes. And now I could read his sign. It said, I don't need your money, but I need your prayers. I nodded at him, and we kept on walking then. And every step we took away from him, there was a heavier weight of conviction on me that this was a searching soul who needed a word from the Lord. Um, we got farther down toward the other end of the mall, and there's a little fountain there that the children like to look at. Um, and so uh, Jennifer and the children stayed there at the fountain, and I said, I want to go back and talk to that man. I feel like I need to do that. So I went back and sat with him. And to my shame, there was a part of me that didn't want to sit on that concrete slab with that man. Partly because I was trembling with uncertainty about how to, uh, how to serve him, how to speak for God to him. But there was a part of me that didn't want to sit down because what would people think? I sat and we talked, and, and he was in a very bad place. He was drowning in medical bills. Um, he had had his hours reduced at work, and he had a little girl in the hospital awaiting a transplant surgery. And we talked for a while, and I asked if he was open to me praying for him there where we sat. And he agreed. And I put my hand on, my on his shoulder and, and closed my eyes and opened my mouth, and I was disgusted by how awkward I felt about how much what the milling crowd would think uh, was invading my mind in that moment. Was I ashamed of the good news of a savior, of redemption, of stating there is a creator of God, that he made all things perfectly, he made us, I bear his image, reflect his glory and his love? Was I ashamed? I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Do not be ashamed of the gospel. Turn back to Matthew 26. Matthew chapter 26, we're going to start reading at verse 31. Matthew 26, starting at verse 31. Then Jesus said to them, Speaking to his disciples, all you will be made to stumble because of me this night. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I have been raised, I will go before you to Galilee. Peter answered and said to him, even if all are made to stumble because of you, I will never be made to stumble. Jesus said to him, assuredly, I say to you that this night before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. Peter said to him, Even if I have to die with you, I will not deny you. 
later in the passage. <clears throat> we don't have Peter's name in this account, but we know from other accounts that it is. Um, there around verse 50, you have Judas coming, uh, bringing those to arrest Jesus. And in verse 51, suddenly one of those who were with Jesus, this is Peter, we know from other accounts, stretched out his hand, drew his sword, and struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. There came a great multitude with swords and clubs. Peter drawing that sword was, um, he could have thought, um, his own death warrant. Twelve men, a sword or two, thirteen men, well, twelve, Judas was on the other side. Uh, a sword or two against a whole multitude with clubs and swords, and Peter was, Peter was willing to, it appears, to go to death for his, for his Jesus. He said, even if I have to die with you, I will do not, not deny you. Down in verse 69, Matthew 26. Now Peter sat outside in the courtyard. Jesus was inside. And a servant girl came to him, saying, You also were with Jesus of Galilee. But he denied it before them all, saying, I do not know what you were saying. And when he had gone out to the gateway, another girl saw him and said to those who were there, This fellow also was with Jesus of Nazareth. But he denied with an oath, I do not know the man. And a little later, those who stood by came up and said to him, Surely you are one of them, for your speech betrays you. And he began to curse and swear, saying, I do not know the man. Immediately a rooster crowed. And Peter remembered the word of Jesus who had said to him, Before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. So he went out and wept bitterly. I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's, it's not what you say when you're standing beside Jesus about how you feel about him that shows, well, that shows whether you're ashamed or not. It's what you say when you're standing out there amongst those other people. And they say, oh, you're one of those Jesus people. What do you do then? In Acts 5, we see a picture of Peter as a man who is not only willing to die for Jesus, but a man who is willing to live for Jesus. And in Acts 5, you have Peter going out and preaching and saying, this is the gospel. And when he's told to stop, he says, well, I just can't do that. He was not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And when I think about this thing of being ashamed and whether I'm truly willing to, to well, to name the name of Jesus, um, we carry his name. Read through, say, Isaiah and Ezekiel and look at all the references of what, Jesus, what God says about uh, those who carry his name and whether they are profaning his name or bringing glory to it. Um, we carry his name. I think of Daniel. And he knew that his 
announcing his allegiance to God by continuing to to do what he had done for God um, in, in praying by his window every day. He knew that that, well, he could have, probably should have assumed that would cost him his life. After the decree went out from the king that you could not bow before anybody but the king, you could not pray to anybody but the king, um, Daniel had no promise from God that we know of that he was going to be delivered from whatever punishment came from it. He just knew that he was not ashamed of God. And so he went to his window, like always, and knelt down. I believe that God is the creator of all things, the sustainer of all things, that he is holy and I am a sinner. Well, I'm sold under sin anyway. That he deserves my all. That he is more important than money, than health, than country, than father, mother, husband, wife, son, or daughter. Remember that Jesus said that? Sometimes we hear the term blood is thicker than water. Um, it's used these days to talk about uh, allegiance to family, usually. Um, People will say, well, you know, they're, they're going to make the choice for family. Uh, maybe that's in, in big business. You have, um, you know, the boss's son becomes the next CEO, um, even though maybe there are other more qualified people because, well, blood is thicker than water. Um, the original quote, blood is thicker than water, actually meant the exact opposite of how it's usually used today. We usually use it to say somebody is choosing uh, choosing family, choosing bloodlines over logic or best or what have you. The original quote was, the blood of the battlefield is thicker than the water of the womb. It meant the exact opposite of how it's usually used today. Do I believe that? When Jesus says that he comes before anything, that he comes before father, mother, wife, husband, son, daughter, do I really believe that? The blood of the battlefield is thicker than the water of the womb. Is the blood of the cross thicker than the water of the womb? All of us know people who have made a commitment to God that is very much a sacrifice of family. There are people in this room who have made that commitment, who live in a reality that is much more profound, much more pronounced than my experience. A few years ago I sat at a job interview, um, probably about four years ago now, and... Um, and I said that my commitment to God and the, the subsequent reality of being a part of his body, his church, meant that certain schedule things were just off the table as we, as we looked at opportunities. Um, there are certain things about schedule I said, I, I, just, I won't be able to budge on because that's going to affect uh, my church life, which is an outworking of my spiritual life and my commitment to God. So no, I, I'm not going to be able to, to move on these points. 
The big selling points of the interviewer were the possibilities for promotion and position and the way the schedule would allow or enable lots of family time. And we never bridged that gap. Um, I said, I, for, for my commitment to God, I'm, I'm committed to a local church, and that means these parts of my schedule are set and they're not moving. And he was saying, well, but look, you know, you have the opportunity for growing into this position and, uh, you know, who knows, who knows where that could take you. And, and the, the schedule that is here is really beneficial to, you get a lot of time with your family because of it. We could never bridge the gap. Our mindsets were completely different. But in another context, would I have been that open about what my commitment to God really means? Would I have been ashamed to say, well, no, I, I follow God and I base my life around him, so I'm sorry, I can't, I can't pursue this promise of position. Most of us are blessed to not have our commitment to God be a friction point in our occupation. Many of us work for and or with Christians. Um, See, my commitment to God stands between me and a lot of theoretical things, but practically, my commitment to God hasn't really caused me a lot of setbacks, has it? So maybe I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ because I never had to be. Or never had to choose between being ashamed of the gospel of Christ or denying him. I should probably say I've rarely had to, not never had to. The two main things I want to challenge you with this morning are these. First of all, very simply, don't be ashamed of God. It's easier than we like to admit to be ashamed of God. So one, don't be ashamed of God. And two, live for him for real in a way that makes makes us and other people know whether you are ashamed or not. If I'm never in a position where I have to make that choice and internally say, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, I really wonder if I'm actually living very much for him because I think living for him is going to put me in situations where I have to say that. I'm not saying necessarily say it out loud. Um, Live for him for real in a way that makes you know whether you are ashamed or not. And maybe we could say the sisters in the room have a head start on that second one. Uh, A committed Christian woman today is going to stand out from the woman of the world pretty starkly. And yet, just, just in the way you look, the way you have chosen to be simple, to draw attention to God rather than yourselves, to veil your head, etc. Um, whereas, maybe I don't look that much different than um, the contractor who comes in and he's wearing slacks and a button-down shirt and has his hair cut, and we sit across from the table from each other, and um, I don't know whether he's made a commitment to Christ, and he doesn't know whether I have. Um, so maybe we could say the the uh, sisters in the room have a head start on living for God in a way that makes them know whether they are ashamed, know whether you are ashamed. 
don't assume that what you do, how you look, how you carry yourself, brothers, doesn't make an impact. Um, several years ago, I remember walking through, um, I guess it was Queens. Uh, I was in New York City for some scouting. Um, nobody else with me. Walking through Queens, and I think I was probably dressed pretty similar to this. Probably the shirt was gray. Um, and I noticed, and, and it really stuck with me, I was walking along for, I don't know, it was probably 15 blocks or so, and it's, it's not quite an open-air market, but there's lots of, lots of activity out on the streets and lots of storefronts open out to the street, etc., and lots of people walking around uh, peddling the filth of the world. Um, people in front of me and behind me were being offered little flyers for uh, you know, good prices on tattoos, on piercings, on strip clubs, on all sorts of things. Um, the only thing I got offered was uh, flyers saying they could improve my cell phone bill. I never once got asked uh, if I wanted to come to a club or if I wanted to um, you know, get a good price on a tattoo. I don't know what all it was about me that day that made that difference, um, but how you look, how you carry yourself, how you groom yourself makes a difference, brothers. Um, it was funny that uh, the people of the world, the people peddling the filth of the world, didn't waste their time on me. The man handing out gospel literature wasn't taking any chances, and he stopped me and made sure I knew about Jesus. Um, he uh, he didn't give in to the temptation to say, "Well, that person will be receptive; that person won't." He just he made sure to stop me and check and make sure he was not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. In my notes and as I've spoken this morning, I've been using the term commitment to God rather than faith a good bit. I actually went through and changed references to faith to commitment to God on purpose. And this is not because I want to diminish faith, but I want to reinforce um, the target, the object. Sometimes we can drift toward faith as an entity. We almost begin to have faith in faith in God rather than faith in God. And what I'm talking about this morning is not being ashamed, whether you're ashamed or not to be a Mennonite, whether you're ashamed or not to be a quote-unquote person of faith. I'm talking about are you ashamed to be a follower of the true God of heaven? Like that little girl in the children's lesson this morning. She obviously had no shame about God. In, in a, the middle of a pagan, idol-filled society, she had no shame in saying, well, the prophet of, of the true God of heaven can help you. I think there are two reasons we don't have opportunities 
to really test whether we are ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The first being we exist in our little bubbles. And the second is we have assimilated the broader culture around us. So maybe you, maybe you haven't actually been tested on whether you're ashamed of, of God or not. Or maybe you're very rarely tested. And I think two contributing factors to that, and I'll just say up front, I have not been tested very much on it. There are some stark examples in my mind of times I have been, but realistically, how many times in 2020, for example, have I really been at, at a crossroads where I had to make the commitment, where I had to choose and say, I am not ashamed of God. And, and I see two big reasons, two big contributors to that. We exist in our bubbles and we have assimilated the broader culture around us. And to address the first one, and, and I'm saying these are two problem areas, not just two factors. The first one is expand your bubble. You know life's not about you? Shocking, I know, but it's not. Um, it used to be if you'd go on a hike and you come to a beautiful waterfall, uh, what you did when you got there was look at it in awe and enjoy the beauty. Then after a while, all of our phones and whatnot had cameras, and so now you walk up and you take a picture of it because you want to capture the beauty of the moment. Now, this day and age, what you do when you walk up and see the beautiful waterfall is turn your back to it and then turn your phone around and take a picture of you at the waterfall because the important part is that you were at the beautiful waterfall. I'm not saying you can't take selfies. I'm saying... What is the underlying view that you have on life? The important part is that you were there, right? In Second Timothy 3, there is a description of, well, a description of last days. I'll let you determine whether it's a description of these days. Second Timothy 3, starting at verse 1, But know this, that in the last days perilous times will come, for men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good. But we don't have that in the church, of course. Church isn't about me, is it? Did I come to church this morning thinking of myself? Did I come to church this morning thinking, I hope we sing a song I like? I guess we don't have to worry about sitting in a seat we like or not, but do we come to church? Did we used to come to church? Will we at some point again come to church thinking, well, I hope I get the seat I want? What's our focus? Get a view of God, hold on to it, and then start looking around you. Remember Jesus and the greatest commandments. Love God with all you've got. Love your neighbor as yourself. Expand your bubble. Life's not just about you. Number two, don't assimilate. Reject the untruths you have assimilated. We live in a culture that tells you to find value in how you look, what you do, what you have, and how you feel. 
That's the culture we live in. Your value, your, your cultural currency um, is defined by how you look, what you do, what you have, and how you feel. This is bogus and unscriptural. Unscriptural sounds a little too clinical. This is anti-God. I'm glad I live in the United States of America. Recently, I was faced with the question of where would I live and raise my family if it was all my choice, no strings attached, um, just taking out as many factors as I could. Um, where would I really want to to live and raise my family? And I kind of landed on probably the United States. But don't confuse the blessings of the U.S. or the culture of the U.S. with godliness. From the Constitution, we hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal. They are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. So the United States is founded on there are certain unalienable rights from our creator, and among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Turn to Matthew chapter 16. Matthew 16, we'll start reading at verse 24. Matthew 16, 24, Then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever desi desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? For the Son of Man will come in the glory of his Father with his angels, then he will reward each according to his works. I have the right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Jesus says, I don't have a right to life. If I want to save my life, I'm going to lose it. He says, I'm to deny myself. And he doesn't say, pursue happiness. He says, follow me. be careful how I say this um, it's not just the constitution that uh, has some dangerous ideas for the Christian such as life liberty and the pursuit of happiness what do the leaders um, around us say In 2016, the president said, my whole life I've been greedy, greedy, greedy. I've grabbed all the money I could get. I'm so greedy. Galatians 2.20 says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. In the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. 
I claim Matthew 16 and Galatians 2, but what do I actually live? What have I taken into my life and allowed to take root from the culture around me? That was a quote from the current president. You can find one from any president that is going to point, that is going to try to lead you somewhere other than a scriptural life. When I say don't be ashamed of the gospel of Christ, I'm not calling for us to indulge in you know, uh, winning people's attention instead of winning them. I'm not. I'm not trying to tell you, so get out there and, um, you know, send brave tweets and blog posts and status messages and brave articles that you need to write, all that. Um, that's a cheap conviction that does that generally. Um, sending out brave ideas while sitting comfortably at home without the slightest intention of, of serving or dying for Jesus and his church. Um, I can draw a hard line in an article or an email while being personally uh, soft on personal sins. Um, I'm talking about, are you going to hold your head high and just live for God? no matter what that does to your reputation in the world around you. You know, we can we can be thrilled about how well if I if I live for God, I'll, I'll have a good reputation because I'll do good work, I'll be a good neighbor, etc. Right now that seems to mostly be carrying true. Are you going to be willing to do it when it doesn't carry true? You're going to be willing to um, live for God even when that gives you a negative reputation in the world around you? He's one of those people that actually believes that God cares what you do. He's one of those people that thinks it matters whether, well, I'm not going to open that can of worms. We could go down a lot of lines. We are called to God. We live openly for him. We speak freely for him. We work for him. We share for him. Do not be ashamed of God. Live a life that shows it, that matters. It matters whether you are ashamed or not. Expand your bubble. It's not about you. And don't adopt the path or personality of those around you. Live for God and don't be ashamed of it. Proverbs 29.24 says, excuse me, yes, Proverbs 29.25 says, the fear of man brings a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord shall be safe. Don't be snared by a fear of man. Don't be ashamed of God. I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation. Can we have a song, please? <clears throat>